people are saying, Donald, you're so fat, you don't get any exercise. I said, well, I went to my doctor. He said it was quite bigly fantastic and there was nothing wrong with my diet or my body. And I said, so I'm perfect. He said, well, I wouldn't say that. I said, I'm practically perfect, like Mary Poppins. He said, well, we're looking into it. We don't know. Probably not for sure, but probably. And so then I fired him and got a new doctor because who needs him? If you can't say that I'm perfect, then we don't need you. And uh, quite frankly, that was it. To stay fit, I do a lot of golf. I play a lot of golf. Not too much golf. I really don't play a lot of golf. I play a lot of golf, but not too much golf. Barack Obama played a lot of golf. Believe me, believe me, so much golf. And I play a lot of golf, but I play very fast. My games are so fastly done. It's like, boom, you blink and you miss it. It's quite fantastic. And uh, we play very well. We play very fast, and we get a lot done. The golf course is a fantastic place to get work done. Barack Obama never got work done on the golf course. It was always hole-in-one, hole-in-one, lots of fun. Okay? What the hell is that? Hey, Stone on Air, if you are not listening to Brian Stone, who has been a fixture in Chattanooga for years, you better be, or I'm going to ask you personally why you're not. I'm so happy I could die. They're like, Brian! Yeah, <laughs> Brian! Yes, my name is Brian! Finally, it's cool to be a Chattanoogan. Finally, it's cool to embrace this city. When some of us have been saying this for 25 years... Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. Stone on air. Yeah, just kill me now. Welcome in, everybody, to the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone on Air podcast, available in weekly installments, generally speaking, on a Wednesday, a midweek download destination for thousands in the city of of Chattanooga, excuse me, and a little bit of the surrounding areas. How are you? I am doing good enough. (laughs) I'm fine. Getting a late start on a Tuesday. This is available on the 15th of July. Well, there you go. Halfway through, boom, July is right at the midway point. And I often say flippantly, but I mean it, uh, time flies and it doesn't have anything to do with whether you're having any fun or not. Well, I took the week off last week for lots of things I needed to get done. It was just kind of, hey, you got vacation. You're now into the seventh month of the year and haven't taken any of it yet. Just need to take a week. And it was the longest ass damn week I've had in a long damn time. And I wasn't having a damn bit of fun. And uh, it drug on by. But part of that is, is from what I've got from Dr. Michio Akaku, I think is what his name is, from the old talk station is, whenever you're doing something out of the ordinary, time slows down. Time speeds up when you do the same thing over and over again, like your Monday through Friday routine. I wake up on Monday, go to work. I wake up on Friday, and it's like, Jesus, where the hell did the week go? I didn't have any fun. Time flew, but I wasn't having any fun. And last week, I wasn't having any fun. I was having to do a lot of different things I don't normally do. I take that back. I had a little bit of fun here and there, having some lunches you know, and beers at lunch at 2 o'clock on a, on a Thursday. And because I'm doing things that are so out of the ordinary, the time just really slow down it is a it's all about how you perceive things for sure but like you know when i have a bonnaroo week or a titans week or a uh, april week well those weeks fly on by because that's what i do every year it's all routine it's all in your head and it's all how you perceive things but yeah last week longest week ever let's see let's take a look at a couple of things today shall we as per usual, I'll try to be uh, as swift as I can to get everything in today, but I'm sure it'll still run at nearly an hour. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg hospitalized, I saw as a headline as I was putting together uh, show prep for the day. This is the biggest reason why I want not Don Trump for so many different reasons, 
but I can't have him putting a third uh, uh, justice in the Supreme Court. We can talk all day long about how I think it's absurd that these are lifelong appointments, but they are, and she is going to, I mean, she's going to die any time now. She's so old. She has a, a great legacy, but if Joe can win the next day, hey, Ruth, you're going to step down now. Thank you very much, and um, and replace her with somebody uh, left-leaning. I don't understand exactly why the Supreme Court has to be so uh, partisan. I, th- I thought that the, the law was the law, but I think it's just a very safe situation to have a balanced court. And I think having a guy like John Roberts as kind of the guy who kind of tilts which way the, the, the decisions are made is very good. I like John Roberts. I think he makes a lot of really good decisions. And I, th- I think if you put another left-leaning justice, you keep that balance, if you will, and uh, John Roberts is uh, he's a moderate, and I know it's not it's not fashionable to be moderate, but uh, moderation is what I'm into, bro, or at least I try to. So uh, I just just one that's my basically my single issue voter right situation right now. That's all that matters to me uh, for this upcoming election. And I say that's all that matters. It's not true, but I believe it's one of the most, if not the most important, uh, decision that's going to be happening over the next couple of years. I went to the Chattanooga Unite gathering over at the uh, River Park. It was hard to find. It's the old fishing park, the Fry Park. I've been there before, but it's been, I don't know, 15 years or so. The signage was terrible. Um, the They have a little amphitheater there. Yeah, it's okay. It's pretty It's pretty amateur hour. They had it all set up well for distancing and, and safety and all those things. There wasn't hardly anybody there, and then that's fine. I don't think there probably should have been. I don't think that was the goal. But the music was typical, you know, I love America and I love the troops kind of stuff. And it was nice to get out and just listen to a little live music and hang out down by the river for a few minutes. It was not nearly fun enough for me to can't wait to go back. But um, at least somebody's trying to do something. Uh, Let's see. Uh, MySpace was trending today. On the tail end of the segment, I'm going to talk about that and social media all the way around. And uh, get to three things. I'll get you a uh, today years old and two coolest things. I don't have a worst idea this week. Let's see. So the final segment of the show I'm going to spend on cancel culture, the Redskins, racist or at least at the very least insensitive mascots and nicknames for sports teams, both universities and uh, and professional ranks over the course of the last hundred years. And in the second segment. Well, here we go. Some arrests from local protesters. Had audio from Cameron Williams on the show last week. I'll have more audio from him as he was arrested last week for, I I don't know if it was disturbing the peace. I'm not exactly sure. And then uh, Marie Mott. I had seen her pictures around. Apparently she's running for for, uh, city council, I believe it is. And she was arrested. And then one other... And it did kind of seem to be a little bit of a dog and pony show. I don't really know. I've got some audio from them that I captured, and I'll take a look at that in the second segment of the show. But first, today, years old. It was actually like two days ago. I love Chick-fil-A. Everybody loves Chick-fil-A. It seems to be a consensus. I'm sure there's somebody who doesn't, but I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who doesn't. I'm a Polynesian sauce guy. I get a sandwich. Or nuggets and the fries. That's it. I have never ventured out into anything else. None of the grilled stuff, none of the salads, nothing. Same thing every time, Polynesian sauce. Well, we got a bunch of food the other day, and I was wondering, what is this yellow stuff? It's the Chick-fil-A sauce. And I was like, I've never had that before. I guess I'll give it a try. 
It's yellow barbecue sauce is all it is. So after all these years, I didn't know there was such a thing as just Chick-fil-A sauce. And in the end of the day, it's just yellow barbecue sauce. Um, anyway, not very interesting, but I was today years old when I found that out. So I don't know if I just haven't spent enough time on Twitter or TikTok this past week or so, but I have not stumbled on anything that I would consider a uh, really good candidate for this week's worst idea. So I decided that I would go with two coolest things. One comes from TikTok. One comes from the show that I have been addicted to here recently. I'm finally starting to run into uh, reruns, and it's not the kind of show you want to watch a rerun because it's not good enough to do that. Shark Tank and uh, you know the entrepreneurial uh, venture capital show, re- reality show, quote-unquote. And I was sitting there watching the show just a couple of nights ago, probably in the middle of the night, 1 or 2 o'clock, and it is the recent season, and I had not heard or read anything about this from a local angle, and I'm just sitting there on the couch, probably half drunk, and then this segment plays. Give me about uh, nearly two minutes on this one, all right? Earlier this season, Shark Tank announced a special sweepstakes for high school students, and the Sharks had a special surprise for the grand prize winner, Connolly. Hey, guys. Do you all know that Connolly won the sweepstakes? Yeah, Connolly. I've been watching Shark Tank for as long as I can remember. Every Sunday night, me and my friends watch Shark Tank together. We love it, it's such a fun show. In the future, I would love to start my own business, so this is definitely one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. By winning the sweepstakes, Kylie and her family are gonna be able to come out and visit us on set, but that wasn't enough for the Sharks. We wanted to come out here to Chattanooga, Tennessee and surprise the entire school. Let's give a big Charger welcome to the Sharks from Shark Tank. We're here to inspire the entrepreneurs of tomorrow. We want to get them fired up about starting their own businesses and being the next generation of sharks. How would you advise us as teenagers to get started? How many people here are on TikTok? All right, that's an opportunity. Going to a business that you think is doing business the old way, you show them how to activate social media. Most people out there that have several years on you are gonna need your help. We need more young people to be entrepreneurs because they're the next generation of problem solvers. They see the world in a whole new light. Connolly posts a tweet and the five of us show up today. The impossible can happen. All it takes is one great idea. There is one kid sitting out there in a high school somewhere that's going to change the world. Great job, Connie. Well Thank you. This day has been incredible. To be able to meet the Sharks has just been an absolute dream come true. The message we want to send to these kids today is whatever they dream of, whatever they want to be, they can be entrepreneurs, they can be successful, and they are our future. I thought that was really, really cool. They said a Charger welcome, and I was like, Charger? Who's a Chargers around here? I think that's Chattanooga Christian, and then I looked it up, and it is. It was back in January. The, the contest was the end of last year. Her name is Conley Grant. It says, quote, it's really crazy. After one of the episodes of Shark Tank, they always have a little banner come up about the high school sweepstakes, and it says to tweet something about your favorite entrepreneur on the show, so I just wrote about why the story inspired me. I tweeted at the beginning of October, and by the end of the month, they said I was a winner and that the Sharks were coming to town. I don't know how I didn't already know that. I don't know how that blurb didn't pop up somewhere because that was just earlier this year. I thought that was damn cool. And then just just swiping through TikTok for this week's second coolest thing. Um, this is something about Gen X. I can't even remember. I haven't listened to it in a couple of days. Here it is. 
Let's talk a little bit about Generation X. The generation so terrifying they couldn't even give it a fucking name. So Gen Xers were <laughs> raised in a very interesting period of time. They were raised by baby boomers, so they, they knew a very older and maybe kind of feral way to exist and live their life. But then they were also old enough, so when the internet and a lot of new technology started coming out, they also knew a lot more. So they had this kind of ability to cherry pick the best traits of baby boomers and millennials, which makes them some of the most dangerous fucking people in the world. <laughs> most of the Gen Xers I knew either went to the military went to rehab or went to jail that means the ones that are left are so fucking true. survivors so for as many changes in music and style and culture that you think you've been through in the last 50 years they've been through the most also mental illness wasn't a uh, trendy back then so uh any kind of mental illness that they had they usually didn't get any treatment for it so they had to learn how to cope with it themselves medications weren't as delicate or as effective back then and that leaves you with some very fucking interesting people get yourself a gen x friend but they'll probably just tell you to fuck off <laughs> Oh, I forgot. Again, it was probably two or three days ago I grabbed that, and it was kind of the impetus as to why I was going to do uh, this this uh, tail end of this segment about MySpace trending on um, Twitter today. And as I often say that I'm right in the age group, the young Gen Xer, that I have been on social media longer than you, unless we're very similar demographics, meaning you're either too old or too young to have been on social media as long as I have. I'm not saying I've mastered it or know anything about you know computers more than just how to turn them on and use them. Sure as hell don't know much about uh, you know the technology of, of, of cell phones these days other than just how to use one as an operator, consumer. But I have been right there through the entire evolution of social media, and MySpace was a dream. It was such a great platform, and um, the the transition uh, out of MySpace into Facebook at the end of the first decade of the century really, really irritated me. I remember sitting around in the conference room at Brewer Broadcasting, and we were having a powwow about the new talk station that was coming on board, 95.3, and um, we were talking about the ways to utilize social media. They made me get on Twitter when I went to work there. That's how far I, I still wasn't even interested in moving on to a different social media. MySpace was where it was at as far as I was concerned. And I remember having a conversation with, I think it was Gary Poole, actually, who still works over there. And I just said, hey, is MySpace dying? Like, where am I? what am I missing here? Facebook? This is stupid. Twitter? What the hell is that? And the answer was yes, MySpace is dying. And I was 29 years old, just starting to turn into that getting stuck in my ways age. Not quite yet, but approaching that kind of phase of my life. And I remember getting on Facebook, because everybody else was, and looking at their layout and its functionality and saying, God, are you serious? This is what everybody's flocking to? This plain Jane, boring as hell, where all my parents seem to be showing up at? We, we're leaving a creative utopia that was MySpace, something that could keep you keep you occupied your mind occupied for hours in, in a lot of good ways a lot of bad ways too i'm sure just like anything else but it was such a creative uh, platform and um, i didn't even realize how intricate and how difficult a lot of the things that i was doing to create the pages i was making because it was kind of a, a, a stripped down version of coding and html and you had to actually 
work your ass off to come up with something pretty damn creative. Facebook, kind of like the iPhone, just created a template, and here you go, do whatever you want with it. So I, I went through the, uh, the the trending. It was trending for like an hour. I don't even know why. Something about the Tom, the guy who's always your first friend, the the guy who supposedly was the owner of, of, of MySpace. I'm sure it was just a character. I, I don't really know. And at this point, I don't really care. So I just pulled a few of these uh, tweets. said, MySpace had everybody coding in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Tom had us all doing front-end web development. Remember Tom? Remember how he sold his uh, MySpace for $500 million and retired so he could have a nice life? He never sold our data. He never tried to influence elections. He never lobbied against privacy legislation. What a man. MySpace was pure. The way everyone ditched MySpace for Facebook will still be one of the most confusing downgrade in the history of the internet. It's like someone talking you into selling your custom sports car for a minivan or trading $10,000 for 73 cents and a punch in the face. MySpace is trending, which means 30-somethings are reminiscing about being in school and spending actual hours editing their profiles, figuring out what song to play when someone went to your page, and fighting to be on someone's top eight. I think it started at top four. And then it went up to top 16. That was where you can put your best friends or your favorite pages that would be featured on your page. And you wanted so badly to be on that top friends of the of the girl you admired or the or the guy you thought was uh, really cool or you wanted to be involved with and that kind of thing. Just two more here and then we'll wrap up the segment. MySpace is trending and I can say without a doubt, in hindsight, it was the most elite form of social media ever invented. And finally, the internet was so much smaller when MySpace was a thing. I miss when social media was kind of secret and underground, and older people had no freaking clue what we were doing. And that is so true. It was just it was a it was a place to go to escape, to get away from the norm. And whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Young people being secretive online might not necessarily be all that good of an idea. But damn it, man, it was fun. It was a fun, fun, fun way to express yourself. And I mean, I remember spending hours and hours putting together my page and loading audio. I mean, it was ahead of its time for the functionalities. And when you gave me this just stupid backdrop of a white screen and just, you know, a feed of people just blabbering about stupid shit with Facebook. I was like, I can't believe all all my people, all my friends, all, all the people I interact with are leaving MySpace and heading there. And then within a you know a couple of years, MySpace was dead. They tried to change their direction, tried to kind of become Bandcamp, tried to become a music uh, service. By that time, they had lost their way, and uh, that was it. It was over. I don't know if MySpace.com is still a thing or not, but there for a good little stretch about 2004 five something like that to 2007 or eight myspace was the place to be all right there were some arrests over the last week or so that were involved with the black lives matter i can't breathe the cha protester local types and were they blocking traffic were they creating public nuisance were they keeping emergency vehicles from being able to pass certain areas in downtown Chattanooga? It is a little bit of a he said, she said kind of thing. And we'll hear from a couple of he and she's coming up next. Stone on air. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for our listeners. Stoneonair.com. But what they did, Aaliyah's restaurant, is they used 911 as a weapon. And what they did, CPD and Hamilton County Sheriff has used the county jail 
the injustice system, the court system, and law enforcement as a weapon to intimidate, point blank period. And so Chief Rowdy, that's a real political move to appease white racist people, fam. I, I didn't expect that from you. I did expect that from Jim Hammond, most definitely. But okay, I, I take that back, run that back Turbo. I did expect that for you. I thought you was going, I thought you was turning a different corner though. I thought with the, you know, the Twitter fingers and stuff, I thought we, we were going down a better road. But it seems as if the head of city police continues to wanna perpetuate white supremacy. It is probably my favorite protest song. Eh, that or Ohio from Neil Young, Pearl Jam in 2003, The Unfortunate Son. It's not the perfect song for this segment, but it kind of fits. And I started searching around. I was like, I haven't heard that in a while. That is Cameron Williams. You heard his voice on the show last week. I talked to him on the phone about a week and a half ago. The only answer is more, 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 more. And so I don't have the the details, meaning from like a police report or from a news article about this, because I forgot to do a search on it earlier today. And I had the newspaper in my hand reading the article, at least skimming it on Sunday when I was at the Pickle Barrel. And by the way, I haven't been to the Pickle Barrel in a long time. That is about as damn good of a club sandwich as you're ever going to get. And I just remember back in the day really enjoying their sandwiches, and clearly they're famous for their tots. A couple of gin and tonics and a nice atmosphere. Luckily, you can't smoke in there anymore. And uh, it was a very nice time. Plus, they had the Saturday and Sunday time free press sitting there for anybody to consume. I was like, hell, it's I can get used to a place like this. I'll put my phone down. I'll read the paper. I'll eat a club sandwich. I'll have a gin and tonic. I can do this on a Sunday evening. So I grabbed both papers, and I saw the story about uh, Marie. I hope I'm not getting her name wrong. Marie Mott, who is running for city council, if I'm not mistaken, and Cameron Williams. They're kind of the male, female, and I don't know if they have any connection as far as they come from the same friend group or maybe they just met through the movement. I don't, I don't know. But they kind of are the male and female mouthpieces here locally. And they're, um, and they're very, very active and they're very, very passionate. And I've followed Cameron more than I have Marie. But anyway, I'm sitting there at, uh, at Pickle Barrel skimming through the story and thought, okay, well, here we go. Here's this week's topic, at least for a few minutes anyway. And I didn't really feel like finish reading it. There's a couple people there. We were chit-chatting and all that. So I just thought, well, this is the Saturday paper. Surely dude's going to let me have the Saturday paper. The guy behind the bar. Because when I said, hey, can I grab these and go sit down at the table? I was like, yeah, yeah, but make, make sure you bring them back. Kind of an older guy. He wasn't being a jerk about it or anything. I was like, yeah, no problem, man. I'm going to bring them back. And then when I walked back up there a few minutes later, or when I was about to leave, I said, hey, man, can I have the region regional section from Saturday? Because it's Sunday at 6, 7 o'clock. 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock, I can't remember, something like that. The sun wasn't down yet. And he's like, yeah, you know, I don't know, I, I guess. I was like, well, I, I don't mean, I, if not, it's fine. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, we're going to be here till 3, and somebody might come in here like you and want to read it. And I was like, 
you got a point, but no one's going to come in here and read this paper, dude, but fine. All right. So I didn't ever pick it up, the copy of it again after that. And then, uh, you know, the paywall, I couldn't get into Times Free Press and whatever. So I'm not here to give a bunch of uh, opinion on this either way. I do know the, 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 the basics of what happened here. So at uh, over the course of the end of last week into the weekend, I'm not sure what day, it was a demonstration at Maine and Market. And these demonstrations are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And most of the time, I believe they're at Miller Park, at the new stage in the new park. And I'm not saying they're getting smaller because I'm not trying to diminish it. I'm just saying it's just a fact of the matter. That's what happens very regularly in these kinds of situations. It starts off strong, huge, 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 less people every time. I mean, it's just the way, the, it's the nature of, uh, of activism. Sometimes it sticks longer than others. It just depends. And so they're not getting police presence anymore to to, uh, to you know to kind of keep the order. So they're kind of it sounds like taking it to themselves to kind of just I don't know get in the middle of the street. Well, you 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 can't you shouldn't get in the middle of the street if there's not some kind of authoritarian kind of barricade, if you will. Like if you're just walking around the middle of the street, you're jaywalking, right? You're loitering. You you can't do that. You shouldn't do that anyway. You can you can line up anywhere you want that's not in the middle of the road, but it got back to the the news cycle started to say that they were blocking the road, wouldn't let cars through. And you know the uh, the um, the fire hall is right down there on Main Street. And so it, it it came across if you were just looking at the headlines that the Black Lives Matter movement or the I Can't Breathe Cha movement, the people that have been protesting regularly, were in the middle of the road causing disruption. And that's the way it came across. Was that true? Is that what happened? I don't know. I wasn't there. And I haven't read a police report. But there were not any arrests made on the spot. Okay? I'm guessing some of the calls came in. He said Aaliyah on the front end of that. Well, that was from Cameron's Facebook page. I just grabbed that audio from there. And I, I'm guessing the call came from Aaliyah restaurant. And the concerns were maybe commotion or uh, inciting I don't know if it was inciting riots or what. I'm not sure. We'll hear from Cameron here in just a minute. The one thing I will say before I get to this, and I'm not going to have much more opinion other than this. One thing we have going for us here in Chattanooga is that we have like nationally renowned, outspoken to the to pro to the movement police chief Chief Roddy. Okay, we have the good guy. Now I get this. Oh, you can tweet this, but your actions show something else. But Going hard against the guy that is renowned, quite literally nationally, as the the police chief that's that's really on your side, I don't think is a winning battle. And I think that that should be something that the these people take very very seriously and very carefully going forward. Here's uh, my first clip. It is from all this is from Nuga Radio ninety two point seven. The uh, Cameron was on C Grimy. Is his uh, is his nickname? He was on David Tullis's show in the afternoon, and he, this is where he explains their approach to this afternoon or this evening when this went down, and to the response to the claim that they were inciting a riot. The spirit of our ancestor, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., we have decided to move in peace. Unlike him, we are not as passive. We may curse, we may yell some chants that be offensive to the status quo. Uh, we may play some hip hop music that you might not agree with, but we are definitely nonviolent. My whole, my, in my morality, I don't believe in provoking violence at all. I do believe in self defense. I encourage you to protect yourself and your family at all times, but I don't believe in starting trouble. You know what I'm saying? So, so uh, inciting a riot is laughable. 
Uh, we've had city officials. We've had all type of people, uh, prominent people, encourage what we're doing. And, and so inciting a riot is laughable, and it's, it's, it's a way to appease racist uh, people that back Jim Hammond and, and his department. And I'm not a big fan of Jim Hammond either. I'm not going to go so far as to call him a racist by any stretch, but I never really did like him. He's been there for a long time now. He took over for Billy Long, if you remember back in the middle of the first decade of the century. Uh, Billy Long, one of the biggest crooks the city's ever seen, and somehow won the uh, city. I, I can't remember exactly what, uh, is that county? Maybe that's county, sheriff. Anyway. Um, I don't disagree with him at all that Jim Hammond's time has uh, run its course here. But there were not any arrests that night. There was just later warrants put out for the arrest for three people, I'm, I believe. I know Cameron and I know Marie and one other one. I don't have that person's name. Um, we'll get to maybe a little bit more of that here in just a minute. So uh, this is real quick. It's not going to give a, a good enough picture of it all, but I ran out of time to try to grab some of this audio. It's uh, what then what did happen on uh, on that evening and so friday we took we peacefully took over the intersection of uh market and main um and another now this is cpd this time with an egregious waste of resources lieutenants sergeants the gang task force and several general officers were at the function milling about wasting taxpayer money instead of uh doing doing their job for real we had children blowing bubbles, playing in chalk. We were making picnic sandwiches and, and enjoying H2O. And what he said a few minutes ago is absolutely true as far as they embody, they're emboldened by what you know. MLK started, uh, MLK Jr. started so many years ago, except they're louder and not as passive. And the language is there and the music is loud. And... You know, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that that um, that it gives it a different kind of look from the outsider looking in. So I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it is. Uh, it 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 gives that view of just a bunch of punks, right? But from my own vantage point, from from driving down by Miller Park several times over the course of the last month and a half, there there are there are kids running around. Blowing you know, little bubble things and playing with chalk and coloring on the sidewalks and stuff and and uh, and all around generally peace peaceful uh, uh, assemblies. It's loud, it's proud, it's brash, but it's peaceful for the most part. From my vantage point, that doesn't mean all of it is, and that doesn't mean anything from a grand, wide sweeping brush generalization. But I don't believe that Cameron Williams is a liar. Now, David Tullis is not one of the best talk show host we've ever had in this city and not even close so i i wish he would have they would have had a better painting of that picture but i didn't have enough time to dig through his pretty boring show overall so that's as far as i could get with that um here uh cameron calls the cd zpd straight up liars it is cpd or liars and not people of their words they said hey we're gonna arrest everybody if y'all don't get out the street and what do we do we said okay we made our point we're getting out the street and they still chose to you weaponize the jail system, use it as a political move, and issue warrants. So I do agree with you that the warrant process is how people should be arrested, uh, but it was also still a very uh, calculated political move by the CPD Chief Roddy and all of them down there. Well, and they spent a lot of time talking about that, but what's the best way to arrest? Is it arrest on the spot? Is it 
uh, send out warrants. And I don't have a strong opinion on that either way. That's what he was talking about there. So the biggest question I think most people would have at this point, I have one more clip. It's from Marie, Marie Mott, is, all right, if, if, if this is not true, if, in fact, no emergency vehicles were blocked, no uh, disruption was happening in the middle of the streets, then they very much do have a reason to be upset with the way that things were handled. This is Maria Motz on Nougat Radio 92.7. Yeah, so we've been blocking traffic because we've been going through the streets. It's just the police department decided that, I guess, they don't have to protect us while we're still out there protesting. And so we had to block off the streets by ourselves. So our police department was not has has stopped coming to the protest to ensure that certain intersections, because we're protesting downtown, are blocked off for people's safety. Right. They said that we were blocking emergency vehicles. We let the fire trucks come through. There's video footage of them, of us moving a, moving aside, letting them through. They waved at us and honked the horn at us in support of. Okay, so that's a yes and no answer to that question. I don't know how the follow-up was, but um, <laughs> you can't do that. Right? You just can't block the street because you feel like it. Um, the Yeah, we blocked the street because we felt like it, but we did let the emergency vehicle through, but then we... It's just... That's just not how this works. Um, I can't go go out in the middle of the street on you know South Seminole down here from my house and block the street and hold a sign. Uh, there's I'm gonna that that's disturbing the peace. Okay, you can stand on the sidewalk, you can have all your gatherings in public spaces, and you can do this very effectively. But the police are not guaranteed to 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 open up the street for you to demonstrate. Remember, also too, by the way. Uh, Defund the police, hate them, they're the worst people ever, but now you need their help. I don't want to sound like I'm not on your side to these people because technically deep down I am. I, you know, optics, man, got to, got to be careful with how you uh, approach things. And I mean, I know I'm not telling most of my listeners anything they don't already know, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's all I should do on that right about now. So let's wrap up this segment and let's talk about racist team names and mascots across the country and the history of it over the last hundred years. Can't wait, right? We'll do it next. Now more Stone on Air. It's about to get all stupid up in here. Stoneonair.com. I'm done with the NFL. Except for Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and Saturdays during the playoffs. I'm done. And now you got this whole Washington name change. It's like when they went from the WWF to the WWE and it's it's starting to fog up my Oakleys. And as a straight white man, it's my job to chime in on stuff that don't concern me. So let me put it this way for you, Generation Butthurt. If that mascot don't offend me, then it shouldn't offend you either because it's called having a lack of empathy and it's the American way. But no, after... Decades of Native Americans demanding that they change the name because it's offensive and racist. What does Washington do? They give in to their advertisers and it's not offensive. And these Native Americans had the balls to be ungrateful since day one. It's like they won't take a racial slur as a thank you. Well, I've been thinking, which I rarely do, and if we're just changing shit, I want the Raiders mascot gone. A pale white face with an eye patch and some gas station swords coming to take some shit that don't belong to him? That's appropriating my culture, and I'm offended. And as always, fuck the NFL and go Coats. 
Tell me another song. Love that guy. Tell me about the lows and the highs. Tell me how to tell the difference between what they tell, tell me is the truth or lies. Mike tell Cooley. Me my stepbrother was in town this weekend, and he turned me on to the drive-by truckers nearly 20 years ago. He's a true Gen Xer. He's 45, 46 or so. And we were just talking Southern Rock, the Dexatines, Isbel, drive-by truckers, and then I had to listen to some Mike Cooley over the weekend, and then I thought, what the hell, we'll go ahead and play it. On the podcast today. Probably play the Drive by Truckers version on the way out the door. So, when it comes to this, this has been going on for a long, long time with the Redskins, and I don't have I don't I don't have any real uh, emotion to that uh, to, to, to that storyline, to that narrative, to that fight on either side of it, except for I kind of do, because my favorite team. One of my most favorite, cherished things in my life is the Atlanta Braves. And um, they're going for the Redskins now. They can come for the Braves at any time. It is a similar situation. It's not not even not nearly the same, but it is very, very similar. And if there wanted to be a push, there could be. And I'll get to more of that with the Braves here in just a few minutes. So the Redskins have decided they are going to move along from the name. And it's real easy for me to say that, you know, I I think some of these names that they've thrown out there, at least one of them, I think the Red Tails. I think the Red Tails is a great name, a very unique name. And I don't have the story in front of me right now, but uh, fighter pilots in World War II that had the uh, painted uh, back end of the of the planes were red, called Red Tails. It's much more deep and rich history there than that, but I don't have that in front of me right now, and that's not really overall my point. But it's very easy for me to say that. I mean, the Braves were once called the Bees, and the Braves were once called the Bean Eaters, all right? So it could be very easy for someone to say, well, why don't you just go back to being called the Bean Eaters? Because I don't want to call them the Bean Eaters or the Braves. How about the Bra- the Atlanta Bees? What's wrong with that? Uh, because they're called the Braves, all right? So I get it that it's easy for me to say about a team I have very uh, little interest and in, almost hate for. I don't like virtually any of teams in the NFC East. But um, so it got me thinking, there's a lot of teams that have had to deal with this over the years. How did all of them deal with it? And how did some of these nicknames come together? Before I get to that, this is from uh, Bob Costas. I remember this. I think it was 2013. It was on a Sunday night football broadcast. And it kind of came out of nowhere, and people were like, whoa, because Bob Costas' voice is pretty heavy. I mean, it, it, it resonates. It goes a long way. And I remember watching this live, and now we are, what, seven years later, and the change has finally come. This has been a quite literally a generational fight over the team name, the Washington Redskins. It seems like an appropriate time to acknowledge the ongoing controversy about the name Redskins. Let's start here. There's no reason to believe that owner Daniel Snyder or any official or player from his team harbors animus toward Native Americans or wishes to disrespect them. This is undoubtedly also true of the vast majority of those who don't think twice about the longstanding moniker. And in fact, as best can be determined, even a majority of Native Americans say they are not offended. But having stipulated that, there's still a distinction to be made. Objections to names like Braves, Chiefs, Warriors and the like strike many of us as political correctness run amok. 
these nicknames honor rather than demean. They're pretty much the same as Vikings, Patriots, or even Cowboys. And names like Blackhawks, Seminoles, and Chippewas, while potentially more problematic, can still be okay, provided the symbols are appropriately respectful. Which is where the Cleveland Indians, with the combination of their name and Chief Wahoo logo, have sometimes run into trouble. A number of teams, mostly in the college ranks, have changed their names in response to objections. The Stanford Cardinal and the Dartmouth Big Green were each once the Indians. The St. John's Redmen have become the Red Storm. And the Miami of Ohio Redskins, that's right, Redskins, are now the Red Hawks. Still, the NFL franchise that represents the nation's capital has maintained its name. But think for a moment about the term Redskins and how it truly differs from all the others. Ask yourself what the equivalent would be if directed toward African Americans, Hispanics, Asians, or members of any other ethnic group. When considered that way, Redskins can't possibly honor a heritage or a noble character trait, nor can it possibly be considered a neutral term. It's an insult, a slur, no matter how benign the present day intent. It's fair to say that for a long time now, and certainly in 2013, no offense has been intended. But if you take a step back, isn't it clear to see how offense might legitimately be taken? The Oxford Dictionary, first thing that pops up when you Google Redskins definition, just says a North American Indian. If you go a little bit further to dictionary.com, the term Redskin is older slang, disparaging and offensive, a contemptuous term used to refer to a North American Indian. I'm just reading what Google tells me. I'm not taking uh, either side on this right now. I'm just having kind of commentary. My good buddy, one of my best friends in the world, Brad Steiner, huge Redskins fan, and I actually probably should have arranged to have him to have a quick call in for me because he is a staunch supporter of keeping the name and one of the most liberal people you'll ever meet. So I can't remember what his argument is, and I know that he's he's told it to me before and it made a lot of sense. But let's just go step back here and take a look at nicknames and mascots over the last hundred years. The word redskin first appears in a uh, Webster's Dictionary in 1890. In 1912, the Boston Braves, they went from the Bean Ears to the Boston Braves in 1912. And I got to thinking, too, what, what exactly is a Brave? I mean, I know it has to do with... Uh, with Native American culture, but I didn't know exactly what. Well, it's Indian Brave. During the Indian Wars of the mid to late 19th century, Native American warriors were known as Braves. The awarding of an eagle feather, the traditional insignia of an Indian Brave, was an important rite of passage into manhood. I could say I, I was today years old when I learned that piece of Native American History. I'll continue with this list. Uh, 1951, sports writers dub the Cleveland Indians' new red-skinned Native American logo Chief Wahoo, of course, the character caricature of a, of a Native American. In 1962, another today years old, the Philadelphia Warriors basketball team moved to San Francisco, which is now the Golden State Warriors, and they had a <laughs> their logo was a caricature of an Indian dribbling a basketball. Of course, once they got to, uh, to to San Francisco, changed the name to the Golden State Warriors and had the bridge uh, of Golden Gate Bridge as the backdrop 
of their uh, of their logo. Hold on, I don't want to crumple that up just yet. 1967, the Washington Redskins registers its name for logo and trademarks. In 1972, the Kansas City Chiefs dropped their Indian caricature logo, replacing it with the arrowhead that is still used today. It was it was a big uh, three or four state area of uh, of Missouri, Oklahoma, all the surrounding states. And a stupid-looking caricature of an Indian with a tomahawk and a football in his hand. And let's see, 1978, Syracuse University drops its Saltine Warrior mascot. And same kind of thing there. Then later in the 1990s, wasn't it? They went from the Orange Men to the Syracuse Orange. In 1986, the Atlanta Braves retired Chief Nakahoma a man in Native American dress who had emerged from a teepee in the left field bleachers to dance around after a home run. I think I first started going to Braves games probably, I remember going and being out in right field when David Justice was out there. So it might have been 1990, but probably closer to 91. I'm not exactly sure. In 1992, Washington Post columnist Tony Kornheiser writes that it's, quote, only a matter of time until the Redskins is gone. He suggests a name change to the Pigskins. In 1994, Marquette and St. John's changed their mascots. Marquettes were the Warriors. They became the Golden Eagles. And St. John's, as Bob Costas just said, went from the Red Men to the Red Storm. In 1997, as Bob just mentioned, the Redskins of Miami, Ohio changed to the Red Hawks. It was also around this time in the 1990s that the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga Moccasins changed their name to the Mox, just simply M-O-C-S. And a stupid mockingbird is implied that that's what their um, their mascot is. They're not the mockingbirds, but that's what their mascot appears to be. I said back at the time then and still now, why not change your name to the Water Moccasins? A snake, but... Nobody cared what I had to say at that age, for sure. In 2005, the NCAA grants Florida State a waiver to continue using its Seminoles nickname, largely due to the support from the Seminole Tribe of Florida. In 2013, Dan Snyder tells USA Today that he'll never change his team's name. Never. N-E-V-E-R, you can use capital letters. In 2013, Slate, the New Republic, Mother Jones, which is where I believe this piece comes from, uh, says they're going to stop publishing the team's name. Following month, Monday morning quarterback Peter King, ESPN's Bill Simmons, and uh, some columnists from USA Today also say they will not refer to the team as the Redskins. I promise you they did continue to refer to them as, as the Redskins. But anyway, that's what they said at the time. And this thing ends in around 2014 from this piece anyway. the In, in, in uh, 2014, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office canceled six redskin trademarks ruling that the name is disparaging to native americans and so it got me thinking when are they going to come for my team and what about other teams like oh i don't know the chicago blackhawks did a search on this real quick i'll read the first paragraph from this opinion piece saying this racist mascot and nickname has to go the chicago blackhawks logo is iconic for many chicagoans Though slightly altered throughout the team's history, this logo has remained essentially the same. The profile of a Native American man's head covered in war paint. The players are adorned with this cartoon on the fronts of their jerseys, along with crisscross tomahawks in a patch on the, sh- on the shoulders. 
These depictions often inspire fans who attend the games dressed in simplistic Native American garb with headdresses and even red face paint. I have right over my shoulder here in my uh, little studio office in the garage a 1959 cloth pennant Chicago Blackhawks with that exact logo on it. It's one of my favorite pieces of memorabilia that I own because it came from my dad and his, in my grandparents' house that I found 30 years ago. It's iconic. I think it's so cool looking. But is it racist? Maybe it is. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, same deal. They beat on a drum. They had, you know, originally that it was more uh, the 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 logo was more of a character. Now it's just been kind of the arrowhead. They got the same thing going. The tomahawk chop. And last one here until I read a little bit about the Braves and then I'll get out of here. This is from CNN, just an opinion piece. Mascots dehumanize Native people, says one group. Images of Native Americans as mascots begin in the golden age of film. Stereotypes of Native Americans as savages, stories about killing settlers and so on. Those depictions become popular and made money on, so they kept getting made. I will just paraphrase here, basically saying that in, in television, entertainment, movies, African, or excuse me, Native Americans take up make up about 0.4% of the people you see on TV. Uh, the executive director of this study told CNN that many schools don't teach about Native Americans past 1900. The lack of representation in pop culture and education and in the general American consciousness can lead to an erasure of Native American people and experiences. It serves to de dehumanize Native people. They cannot see us as fully formed, multidimensional human beings. And I get a lot of that. I do. I really do. Native American history is not taught to us lily white folks. And I think that's that's part of it. When your 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 ancestry is lily white and squeaky clean, it is difficult to empathize or sympathize with people who have different ancestry. And offensive, you know, the 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 the, the act of being offended is different to every culture, to every person, to every situation. And I believe should be respected. And then there's also the fake outrage types that I get so frustrated and irritated with. There's going to be plenty of that in every situation that you are ever in. So the Tomahawk Chop in Atlanta uh, is probably gone forever, at least sanctioned by the team. Like the, and that's so much fun when the when the game is going so well and you hear that the whistle. It's one, two, one, two, three, four. You got 40,000 people doing that when you got a monster game going on. It's so adrenaline pumping and so badass. It ain't going to be around anymore. I can promise you that. Now, I will still have my foam tomahawks at times, probably, for sure. I always have one in my back pocket when I go to a game. Now, I go to maybe barely one game a year, but the team won't be sanctioning it. But what about the name, the Braves? I mean, I think I can make a very good argument that as long as you're not doing caricatures and you don't have Chief Nakahoma and you're not doing kind of, you know, bastardizations of like the tomahawk chop as some kind of war chant that like they don't even know what that is. It doesn't have anything to do with us, which I can also make the argument that, OK, well, if that doesn't have anything to do with you, then this is what we're going to do. Um, but I, I think if you're if you're paying a, hom a homage to to the uh to the Indian Brave, which I just got done reading from wherever it was, is a is a rite of passage. What is it? The awarding of an eagle feather, the the traditional insignia of an Indian Brave, was an important rite of passage into manhood. 
if you're respectful of that, I don't see why it would be a problem calling your team the Atlanta Braves. This is one quickly from the AJC. The, Bra- the Braves have made some changes to distance themselves from the imagery that could be offensive to Native Americans, including removal uh, of Chief Nakahoma as a mascot. They're now discussing ways to reach out to honor the Native American community. Friday, Braves chairman Terry McGurk said that the name Atlanta Braves will stay, but President and CEO Derek Schiller added their position on the tomahawk chop is still unresolved, and conversations on that matter are ongoing. Within the Native American community, there are strong and varied opinions on the use of the name Braves and associated imagery. Many Native American people, including the National Council of American Indians, have called for the Braves to change both their name and end the use of the chop. Asserting the Braves' name and use of the chop perpetuates the quote-unquote warrior-savage myth. Some take issue with the chop, but not necessarily the name in itself, and some are not offended by either. And I will just, this is the last page here, I will just uh, paraphrase it and skim through it. Talking about the Tomahawk Chop, it started Florida State back in the, uh, I guess, late 80s or so when uh, Deion Sanders was there. Then when he came to the Braves, it caught on in 91 after the worst of first season. Kansas City Chiefs also adopted it. It's the exact same thing at Florida State and in Kansas City in Atlanta, the Tomahawk Chop. And um, I do believe that it has seen its last day being sanctioned in Atlanta. What will they do in Kansas City? I don't know. What will they do in Florida State? I don't know about that either. All right, so there's another show in the books. If you do find yourself in a position to make a comment on the show, wherever that might be, iTunes or any social media or anywhere, I certainly would appreciate it. But as you know, if you ask me to do it, I would very likely not do it for you. So it's all good either way. I am out of here. It is late. It is after midnight, so it is now officially the 15th. This is the Stone on Air podcast. Thank you so much for finding it. We'll do it again next week on the 22nd as the worst July ever is just flying right on by. I will leave you with the recorded studio version of The Devil Don't Stay from Drive-By Truckers. We'll do it again next week. All right. See you later. Bye. Shows up sides and get a little bit of both away.